I'm Jason Mitchell, co-head of Responsible Investment at Man Group. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. What does governance mean to you? For most of us, it starts with government and how the next town meeting or next national election will affect us. But what is the commonality between the political process and corporate governance or the role of stewardship? What's the common denominator across all these dimensions? Well, for one, it's stakeholders. Call them the populace or the electorate, customers or simply your employees. But core to good governance is the recognition that success can't be hoarded. Employees need to benefit alongside the larger gains. It's why I'm so excited to have our next guest on, because he's been there firsthand, from overseeing one of the UK's largest regulated companies to serving as minister in government, which makes him uniquely qualified to address what governance represents and why stakeholders are so important from a corporate, governmental, and institutional investor perspective. To find out all this, I sat down with Ian Livingston. Ian has served as chairman of the board of Man Group since May 2016. He has over two decades of board-level FTSE 100 experience, most recently as CEO of BT Group, where he also served as CEO of BT Retail and as Group CFO. Prior to joining BT, he was CFO of Dixon's Group. Ian is also a serving member of the House of Lords, and from 2013 to 2015, he was Minister of State for Trade and Investment. He is chairman of Dixon's Carphone, a director of Jewish Care, a non-exec director of Belmont, and has served on the boards of Celtic Football Club and Hilton Group. Welcome to the show, Ian. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Okay. So look, I want to start out with your backstory. Um, what first attracted you to the, call it business world? There's an anecdote out there that in high school, for instance, you managed to win a fantasy share investment competition by turning uh, 15,000 pounds into 27,000 pounds in just a matter of six months. Well, yes, um, I was always interested in business, which was somewhat odd because uh, I came from a family that really had very little business background. Uh, um, I was a great grandchild of immigrants. And in fact, I was the uh, only the second in, uh, generation to go to university. Um, in fact, most of my family are medics. Uh, my father, almost to his dying day, still expressed a concern that uh, I was intelligent enough to become a doctor, but hadn't. Uh, so it was unusual to come in business. But what the reason that I really went into business is I think business has a great ability to change things. And uh, it's an incredibly powerful uh, um a set of activities uh, and the impact it can have on consumers or the people that work for it. And uh, also, it's an exciting place to be. Uh, I didn't realize I had any capability in it, but as it turned out, uh, fairly reasonably. Well, I was going to say, I mean, that, that anecdote about winning the share investment competition sort of misrepresents um, what you've done, really, because, you know, in fact, you were the youngest CFO for a FTSE 100 company. You've gone on to um, having a career of really managing people and businesses themselves. Yeah. And uh, I think with all businesses, the answer is it's about people. And that's true whether it's investment, it's true whether you're a, a non-governmental organization, any organization is about people. And at BT, for example, managed 150,000 people in, uh, uh, and BT was operating over 170 countries. And 
businesses can talk a lot about strategy, they can talk about technology. In the end, the single most important thing that separates a good business in all sense of the word from not good business are people. All right. You know, the one theme seems to cut across a lot of what you've done, um, not just in the corporate world, not just in government, but also uh, currently now at Man Group as an investment manager, and that's governance. Um, and it, you have a background of sort of looking at it in a unique way across a number of different dimensions. Um, for instance, at the corporate governance level at the BT Group, um, at the governmental uh, level, you know, as, as, as Minister of, of Trade and Investment, and clearly at the stewardship level as uh, uh, at Man Group uh, as an investment manager? Yeah, I mean, I think I probably do have a, a fairly unusual perspective. I haven't seen um, the role that governance and business plays from a businessman's side of thing, running a big multinational, uh, seeing it from uh, being in government and understanding government perspective in it and, and the role in society, and also uh, from uh, uh, an asset manager point of view. So they are different perspectives, but there's one thing it holds in common, that if you treat governance as being some sort of side activity, then it's not going to work. Uh, unless you understand that the way a business is run, what it does, how it operates in the societies in which its activities are, unless you treat that as a core part of its business, and whether that be a fund manager or an industrial company or whosoever, then you will not get the right results. And it matters hugely to the people who work in the company. It matters hugely to the governments that regulate the company. It matters hugely to the customers. It matters hugely to the suppliers. It matters to the brand image. It matters to all of these things. And unless a board and a CEO and a chairman understand that it's at the core, then frankly, it will never be effective. How do you create a culture that values, call it governance, call it uh, uh, corporate social responsibility, uh, these these kinds of values? I think firstly it starts by not calling it governance. Mm. Uh, I think it's the, frankly, the act of doing the right thing. And I think this sense of uh, within a business you can be good and do good. In fact, the only way you can do each of them is by doing the other thing. Um, and that people understand that. Uh, and it starts with the people within the business, that they get a sense of actually doing the right thing for the customers for the societies in which they operate is core to the mission of the company. And if you take, for example, Man Group, you know, we could talk about a man at creating uh, superior non-correlated returns, which we do. But actually, the discussion that today we have in Man is about the 100 million pensioners we look after. And that's what we talk about and that's what we think about because ultimately that's the important thing. And People actually want to work in businesses like that. And I think the understanding that it all goes together and creating that message that it is not separate from the business, it is part of the business, is what you do every day that creates your success in the long term. And it's not just tone from the top, it's also tone from throughout the organisation that people feel that at all levels. And that's the way you do it. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's, it's through clarity about your mission 
and your strategy and your objectives and whether that goes in areas such as sustainability, in diversity, in, uh, in the governance of the board. Uh, all these things are really important and they, the people in the organisation need to feel that they're important to, to their success and the success of the organisation. Mm. You made that interesting point in an article in The Telegraph last year. Um, we talked about the fact that companies are increasingly portrayed and accepted as uh, bad actors, in a sense, through poor behavior, excessive remuneration for CEOs, um, uh, tax avoidance, or reneging on corporate pension uh, obligations. I mean, it's arguably an element that has driven the rise in populism and all these divisive politics that we're seeing today. Um, how can business do good by being good, though? I mean, where does it start? I guess I want to pick apart a little bit more of, of that. First of all, I would say I don't think businesses are unique in being deemed to be bad in inverted commas. Uh, almost every part of what was prior the part of the establishment, whether that be governments, whether it be the press, whether it be in some cases judiciary, um, even NGOs now have been attacked in various ways. But turning to business themselves, uh, every business in the long term needs the license to operate in the societies in which they're in, uh, because it may not happen tomorrow, but in the long term, the legislative mood, the uh, customer mood, or even the ability to recruit employees is, de is determined by that. And I think what businesses, first of all, have to do is to recognise how they can contribute in ways that are unique to them. Um, you know, giving money to a gallery isn't CSR. Yes, it's all very helpful. It's rather more something about what does this business do? So I'll give an example for, for man. We, for example, have um, uh, a large uh, uh, number of people who are extremely good mathematicians. And we know in many, many of the countries we operate in, attracting uh, minorities and women into maths and physics and areas such as that is a real problem. It's a real problem for our recruitment. So what we have done is we spend a lot of time and efforts in helping support areas such as uh, uh, female mathematicians. Uh, we sponsor activities. We encourage people to uh, come in and help them code in areas like that. Now, that is good because it's helping to solve a societal problem, but it's also really good to, uh, for us because, frankly, uh, it's difficult enough to recruit people, and if 50% of the population are excluded from that, then it becomes even more difficult. So we're doing good by being good in that way. Just taking the wider issue you mentioned of uh, corporate remuneration, I think that's a real challenge because the problem for many boards is individually they are making quite rational decisions. You know, they think that their uh, executives are above median. If they're below median as, a, as individuals, they probably want to replace them. And yet they end up, therefore, wanting to always pay above median. And I think what you have there is a real challenge between the needs of the individual company and then, on the other hand, when you summate all of that, you have a societal problem. And I think it's really important that a combination of uh, investment managers, uh, government and businesses get together to really understand the source of the problem and how you can improve it. And what they shouldn't do is, is knee-jerk reactions um, and actually work on, on real facts and see over time how we can deal with it. And I think the, the most important part of dealing with that and why it's become such a big issue just now is looking at the 
uh, at the pay relative to the pay of everyone else. And I think that's become the real issue. I don't think people mind CEOs doing really well as long as the business and the employees do really well. And I was I was very proud when I ran BT Group that uh, our uh, employees shared multiple billions of pounds of value uplift through our share schemes at the same time as, uh, as the board did well because they succeeded. And I think finding ways in which... Uh, Employees don't just suffer the downside of, of corporate failure, but benefit from corporate success is really important part of that as well. It's about everyone really gaining together. That's, I think, the challenge more than even just an individual at the top gaining too much. Your tenure at Man Group has only been since May 2016, but I'm curious to what degree you've seen kind of uh, a realignment in these kinds of questions at annual general meetings by whether it's uh, investors themselves or investor action groups. Yes, I think the the range of issues has certainly widened. Annual general meetings, it can vary. You do get single action groups and that particularly affects certain companies in certain areas. I think as a, a wider issue, there is the whole question of how shareholders, uh, the smaller shareholders in particular, engage with businesses over the course of a year. By definition, you get, uh, when you hold an AGM on a wet Wednesday in central London, you possibly do not get uh, the widest range of uh, uh, investors coming to visit. And I think uh, we all need to look at the ongoing communication with our smaller shareholders on one side. And with the bigger shareholders, I think the issues um, is how can we combine the uh, uh, the investment discussions at the same time and as part, and crucially they have to be part, of the ESG discussions because too often they remain two separate discussions. Uh, so I think I would say that these things both have to be more rounded but also continuous throughout the year. And the AGM as a place for a single issue to come up is not really the right way to address it. And I think with today's technology, perhaps uh, um, as regulation moves on, uh, I think we can possibly do more with more continuous and more structured uh, discussion with a wider range of shareholders about the issues that interest them, as well as, frankly, non-shareholders, whether it be government or NGOs and the like, because uh, Companies are responsible in the UK. They're legally responsible to all types of stakeholders. And we have to have wider discussions because most boards, I think, today spend a lot of time talking about shareholders. They spend a fair amount of time talking about customers, a bit less talking about employees and very little talking about suppliers and talking about society. And they're all really important groups. And we've got to in the long term service all of them properly. Mm. I want to unspool that a little bit just in terms of that ESG discussion. Um, we're currently undergoing, when I say we, I mean the UK and, and the EU as well, but uh, a pretty extraordinary redefinition or at least an effort to redefine um, what fiduciary duty means. Um, no longer is it financial, economic, and political, but um, we're addressing other issues, non-financial issues, systemic issues, um, ESG issues, or specifically climate change issues. Um, do you think that that effort might suddenly mean that uh, those, you know, the investment part and the ESG part, which in many firms is still discreetly locate, located, do you think that sort of realigns them and there's an opportunity to converge, you know, analysis in both these areas? 
I think that's very true that I think you have to look at all these aspects and there's a number of companies who are, you know, for instance, involved in carbon intensive industries where the two things have to go together. But I think it's true across a wider range of, of things. And it's true it's true for the the investee companies as well as the investor. So um, yeah, it goes back to the the having ESG at your core. I'll give you an example. At uh, BT, one of our goals was uh, to save our customers at BT three times as much carbon as uh, as, our, as we actually use in our operations. Now, on one hand, that was very good from a sustainability point of view. From another point of view, it was really good from a business point of view because we, BT was the largest provider of video conferencing facilities in the world. And that was a very good way to save pure carbon. It was true for virtualized data centers as well. So it was absolutely core to the business mission. I think if you're a car company or a, uh, or a power company, these things go hand in hand. And I think you can't have a single facet conversation. You have to take these in the round. And that's true on both sides of the investment discussion. I'd also say one other thing, the other set of people who really need to be involved are government and regulators. And I think they have to uh, be more prepared to understand that businesses are as much and sometimes more so a symptom of a problem rather than just the cause of it. And I'll give, for example, diversity in employment. Businesses have to up their game in working harder to have wider diversity, particularly at senior management level. But on the other side, um, they are suffering from uh, uh, problems with diversity in education. And, uh, and government has to work with business say, how can we solve some of those issues as well? Um, and so I think... Uh, uh, the more rounded the discussions you can have and uh, and take all the facets of it, the better the answer that we'll get. It's not easy, but over time, that's the best way to get the best answer. And it's true outside the ESG world, you can't have single faceted scorecards. It actually does remind me of, of the fact that when we first met, which is a decade ago, when you just taken the reins of BT Group as CEO, I remember meeting you as, a, as an investment analyst and, and going through the investment case for BT, the, the changes, um, but they were admittedly very financial, and I don't remember ever really spending a lot of time um, on these questions that, that uh, we're now spending a lot of time on and trying to basically create greater context. Um, to the whole operating environment of a company. Yes, and, I, and uh, I'll tell you, the, the biggest element of all of that in all the employee surveys you take, and uh, as I said earlier, that BT, I looked after 150,000 employees, but I'm also chairman of uh, Dixon's Carphone, uh, which has over 40,000 employees. And the thing you get in employee engagement surveys, one of the single biggest factors is that people want to feel that the company they're working for is doing the right thing. And that makes such a difference to recruitment, to retention, and also ongoing performance in terms of engagement. And if you almost don't need any other explanation as to why you have to make this thing absolutely core to what you're doing day by day, because if you don't have engaged employees, none of the other things work, mm -hmm. none of them. Just given your experience, what do you think investors are getting wrong? In the sense of, uh, I mean, there's a growing body of evidence that uh, Better ESG scores leads, leads to better performance. Um, there is, I mean, certainly um, evidence through surveys that sentiment, particularly among millennials now, more, more highly values 
investments that are responsible or sustainable. Um, I mean, so it seems like there's certainly a, a wave and uh, and a lot of momentum pushing investors to this area, but but clearly, um, not all investors are are fully uh, bought into this. I think one of the challenges, a really big challenge, is um, ESG. Of course, covers such a wide spectrum that um, whilst there is some evidence in some areas of ESG, particularly I think the G bit of it, uh, that it uh, you do get superior performance, it's not incontrovertible. It's, uh, we haven't had the chance to view it over a long period. And then it doesn't mean that because some bits of ESG, actually a performance doesn't mean necessarily you can see the direct link from all different bits. And uh, uh, a challenge, I think, for investors is ESG is in the eye of the beholder. And, uh, and uh, many investors would have a, for instance, completely different view on tobacco from they would have on arms, from they would have on, uh, on carbon-intensive industries. And um, so everyone tends to mean something a little bit different. And I think that's one of the challenges. But what I would say to investors, it goes back to this issue of um, treating it as part of the equation rather than than a completely separate equation and it's a bit like baking a cake you know you can't sort of make the icing on the side and leave it there it really has to be part of the whole recipe and uh, and i think that uh, investors have to consider how they can integrate um the particular esg factors into into the equation but also um and this applies all the way through supply chains of all variety of course for investors, they are seeing the people who, who allocate money to them having particular concerns. And that's true also for every business that one of the biggest drivers of uh, good ESG is actually uh, your customers all the way through. And I think um, this is, is now people have to work out how do we incorporate it in all aspects of what we do and make it a rounded proposition. And that today is still is still a challenge, mm. particularly when the um, the mass is not incontrovertible, that you can see a direct link between not investing in X and getting the right result. Mm. A common theme in the responsible investment world is this uneasy tension between short-termism and long-termism. Um, think of your traditional mutual long-only funds um, criticizing or critiquing the hedge funds. Um, having focused, though, you know, in your career span um, on the very long term, I mean, certainly as CEO of the BT Group, one of the world's largest telecom groups, um, regulated, no doubt, um, you've had to focus on the sustainability of, of that kind of regulated entity at the government level. You've had to focus on the very long term. How do you reconcile that now at an investment manager um, who you could say is a mix of a lot of different styles? Well, I think it's really important for uh, a board of directors of a company to separate off how long uh, shares are held by any individual investor from actually their business decision cycle. And you're absolutely right at BT. We are making decisions about that would have um, be in the ground for 20, 30 years, often longer, and may have paybacks of of uh, double-digit number of years. And uh, I remember when I announced we were going to spend multi-billion pounds on fibre, uh, BT's share price went down 10%. Three years later, it was 
clearly a no-brainer decision because uh, it was all going rather well and all the people who sold their shares at the time appeared not to remember that they were against it. Uh, so it is a challenge, but it's part of actually business doing the right long-term thing. So I say actually too many uh, businesses use short-term holdings, I think, by investors as an excuse. And you have to have the in, uh, the intestinal fortitude to do the right thing and also explain it in advance. And uh, if you go to shareholders and explain the reason for something in advance, I think it works out. What, however, I think the single area I think short term is a, uh, maybe a problem is uh, particularly uh, in relation to quarterly reporting and uh, I can't say there's many things I may agree with the current US president about, um, but uh, his recent comment about perhaps uh, reducing quarterly reporting, I think, may be be, uh, one of them, because I think that does encourage this need. Businesses do not uh, go in one direction every, uh, every quarter. You get bad weather if you're a retailer. You get single customer movements. And, uh, and there's still too much pressure on companies to make things look pretty much like a straight line. And that means they might hold back an investment. It means they might not do the right long-term thing for quarterly performance. And I think, uh, I think at least if we can move more to six-monthly, that, w- that would help. But businesses themselves have to do the right long-term thing, and I think they shouldn't use either short-termism and shareholders as an excuse. In the same way, they shouldn't blame corporate financiers for when they go and make a bad acquisition. It's their job to do the right thing, not to blame someone else for the wrong thing. Great. Well, look, it's been fascinating to hear about your perspectives on the topic of governance from your experiences as CEO of BT Group, addressing corporate governance, and as Minister for Trade and Finance and Government to what stewardship represents at an investment manager like Man Group. So I'd like to thank you for your time and views today. Uh, I'm Jason Mitchell, here today with Ian Livingston, Chairman of Man Group. Many thanks for joining us on Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, and I hope you'll join us again on our next podcast episode. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. I'm Jason Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. And special thanks to everyone that helped produce this show. To check out more episodes of this podcast, please visit us at man.com forward slash responsible dash investment or look for us on iTunes.